Hello, I'm Karen Valle. This is New Favorite Movie with a special end of the year Christmas mailbag episode. You have sent in some interesting questions that have got me thinking about the state of movies and everything like that. And so to help me run through these questions is my sister Kate. Kate, welcome back. Thanks for having me back. I guess the first question I have for you before we get into the questions for me is how was 2022 movie-wise for you? What, what did you see? What did you like? There were obviously some big events that happened in 2022, and you probably didn't get to see as much as you wanted, but from what you did see, what did you like? What did you enjoy? So this year, looking back at my letterbox, it seems like I did more documentaries than I thought I did. Um, so you had just asked me before we jumped on here to kind of take a look and see what was my top movie of the year. And my top three or four were actually documentaries, um, just kind of exploring some celebrities. And I've always enjoyed documentaries for that to kind of get into their minds. Big life events for me is obviously now I'm a new mom. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if anyone will pick it up, but <laughs> Baby Briar is screaming her head off yes. downstairs. But I think we've, we've sequestered ourselves far enough away. Um, so I don't, I can't quite remember now if I watched this movie pre or post having her, but my top rated movie of the year is actually Look Both Ways from Netflix with Ryan, Lily Reinhardt. Oh, I talked about this. Yes. I never ended up watching it. <laughs> I, I put it in a recommendation episode and then never watched it myself. So was it, it was obviously good. It was good. So I gave it a four out of five. Um, I just enjoyed how they told her story. So she graduates college and finds out in one parallel story that she's pregnant and in the other one, she's not. And so they follow the two different life paths. And it's just interesting to see how they did it in the fact that no story was better. No story was worse than the other. She didn't regret either choice or regret the life that she had. She just kind of kept just picking the next right choice, whatever was the next right thing for her to do, that's what she did. And it was, I really enjoyed it. Well, there you go. Maybe I will have to go yeah. back and watch this eventually <laughs> one day. I don't know. I, I had full intentions of watching it. I, I quite like her. Yes. Um, the things that I've seen her in outside of Riverdale. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've sort of been like, oh, she's quite good. She's, you know, all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, I, I fully intended on watching it and then just didn't. So. I enjoyed her in the early seasons of Riverdale. Once it got a bit weird, I stopped watching it completely, but. Well, should we jump into a few questions here? Because there are quite a few. And uh, I, full heads up, I'm going to throw a couple back at you. So, you know, think fast. But oh, great. <laughs> we let's, let's jump in. Let's jump in. Okay. So your first question, what are your top five TV shows? Okay. So I took this as all time. Because if I was doing this year, it would probably just be the five shows that I watched this year. So that's that's pretty boring. Um, and putting this together, I think you and I are quite different. Because I think you... I, putting this list together of my top five shows, I quickly realized I don't necessarily enjoy shows, television shows, that are just hanging out with familiar characters week after week. I don't really like the... Um, the whole thing of like every episode is more or less going to be the same as the last one. And we're not really going to push things forward too, too much just in case, you know, you've missed a couple episodes or whatever. And so shows like 
The Office or Parks and Rec or I know your favorite Gilmore Girls <laughs> where it's like I can watch them as just like sort of pure entertainment, mm-hmm. but they never, I never sit there thinking like, oh, I can't wait for the next one. I can't wait for the next one. I was going to say, I feel like you're a person who likes smaller series, two or three seasons. They get in, they're fast paced, they yeah, move along. That's and because then that's... Those, that's because you can watch those and be like, yeah, 10 years ago, that was a movie. Yeah. So that's <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, so I, I, I really enjoy shows um a that i think are trying to do something different or or are doing something different or doing something that i've never seen before but then also b that are like kind of pushing something forward they're pushing some story forward and you have to tune in week after week to keep up and, and keep going um and so there are obviously you know honorable mentions galore there's things like normal people when that came out that just blew me away and i've watched that twice now uh mad men i've i've gone back and watched that twice so that's in there breaking bad uh at the beginning of covid i went on a big south park binge and i just watched all the uh the highest rated seasons and the highest rated episodes and all that sort of stuff and i just thought it was getting better and better and better as like the first few seasons like the humor was so funny because it was something so different and so um like out there in terms of like it wasn't like the simpsons it was way beyond the simpsons but as they went further and further the seasons started to have like full storylines and a storyline would be a whole season and i just loved it i absolutely loved it so south park would be another honorable mention band of brothers i think i've watched four times like band of brothers is an absolutely incredible show uh but my top five so these are the five shows with the exception of one and they're, they're not in any order but um, these are the five shows that like I found myself as I was watching it needing to know more week after week. And then when the seasons would end, I tried to devour information and, you know, figure out, okay, when's it coming back? Who's it coming back with? What are the ideas going forward? All that sort of stuff. So sort of two new ones that are, I would say my two favorite shows right now are industry and succession. They're both just, I don't know. They're both incredible and they both give me so much anxiety, but I absolutely love them. An animated show, I don't really watch a lot of anime, but an animated show that I absolutely love and I've gone back and watched episodes here and there and and things like that is Cowboy Bebop. I've never gone back and watched, or I've never gone and watched the Netflix live action version. I've heard good things, I've heard bad things. I'm pretty happy with the anime version. Uh, I don't need anything more than that. Uh, Mr. Robot was one of these shows that, when it came on, I like literally could not get enough. I needed to know absolutely everything that was going on. I think it's beyond sort of the writing and and performances that are you know in your face and stuff like that. Just the way that Sam Sam Esmail directs, he basically directs every episode from season two on. It was just unreal, just unreal, and like completely stuck the landing. Um, so that's done now. So I, I I'm happy saying that that's in the top five. Uh, and then not last not least none of that but survivor i am back on survivor and it is so good it is so good i took about 20 years off came back for the all-star winners at war season and have not missed a minute since it is so much fun and it is like 
it's like gone on steroids. If you haven't watched Survivor in years and years and years, the gameplay is on steroids because all of the people watching the show are super fans. So they know all the ins and outs. They know all the tricks. They're, you know, 10 steps ahead. And you can immediately point to people in the season and be like, oh, this person's so out of their depth. And like they're gone week one because they just like they don't get there. They're there to be like, oh, I'm a survivor. Great. And it's like, no, these people are playing cutthroat from day one, minute one. And it is so much fun to watch. So, yeah, survivor every single week. Do not miss it. I have started to laugh because he was here a couple of weeks ago watching and was telling us all about the strategy of this year's people and who was doing what and this person's doing this. And yeah, you are in deep on Survivor right I, now. I am, just... I'm not on any sort of like forums or anything like that, but I'm not far away from that. I, it's it's taken over. I have, I have a Survivor group chat with a couple of friends and oh yeah, like it is, oh, every week, every week. You just let me know when you want to record your audition tape and I'll record it for you so you can get on. I'd, I'd be too scared to go on. Honestly, <laughs> there was probably a time in my life where I'd be like, yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, I would do Survivor. But watching these people play now, it's like, fuck, I'd be so out of my depth. And I'd be that loser on the beach being like, so somebody want to go get coconuts? And everyone would be scrambling, finding immunity idols and stuff. I, I'd be... <laughs> I'd be out no, week one. I'd be the first person out. So yeah, it wouldn't be worth it at all, but I absolutely <laughs> love it. Okay. So your next question, is your love of Paddington a bit? Yeah. Okay. So I know who sent this question in. And so I'm going to address him directly. Dean Labute, my love of Paddington is not a bit. It is a brilliant move. Well, two movies, brilliant two movies. They are so smartly written. The Ben Wishaw's performance as Paddington is absolutely wonderful. Uh, the whole family unit, I just love absolutely every minute. They are so beyond, like they're obviously, they're obviously children's movies. They're made for kids, but they are so beyond the base requirement, the minimum requirement of a child's thing um, that like, yeah, absolutely. They are incredible movies. And like I resent this a little bit because we have just talked about this show Bluey that he watches with his kids and he's like, yeah, it's an incredible show. And it's like, yeah. So obviously just because it's four kids doesn't mean that it is bad or inherently worse. Paddington is brilliant. And if you haven't watched it, you need to go back and, and you need to go and watch these movies. Now there's only two of them. There's a third one, hopefully coming soon, but yeah, Paddington unreal movies. I, I've left birthday parties to go watch Paddington movies. So like, yeah, Paddington is unbelievable. Okay. So your next question, early Oscar predictions, what's going to win best picture, any big surprises? Best picture. I think right now the front runner is the Fablemans because it won the people's choice at TIFF. So that's probably the front runner in recent years. The front runner this early has not won. So if I was to put money down on, the Oscars right now, which I kind of have, my bet would be on everything everywhere all at once. Because what is becoming obvious with the Oscars, especially when you get into how many people vote on it, is that they want to feel good. So a movie that makes you feel good is probably gonna to rise to the top. And the other way the other thing that they do is they do preferential balloting. 
So they rank all of the movies. They don't do this with every category. They only do it with best picture. So you could have Top Gun as your top as your number one choice, and you could have you know X, Y, and Z all the way down the list. And they just start eliminating movies until I think a certain until a movie hits a certain threshold, and then that movie is deemed the best picture of the year. And I think everything everywhere all at once, even for people who won't have it as their number one choice, they will have it as their number two or their number three, which means it's still gonna pick up lots and lots of points. I like I don't know anyone who dislikes it. I didn't I actually didn't really enjoy it that much. But I, I can't say that it's not good. Like, it is very good and it's very impressive what they did uh, in terms of making it. And so if I was to vote on Best Picture on the, on the 10 movies, like, it'd be up there. It'd be one of the top five picks of the thing. I don't know. But, yeah, I think that's probably going to win Best Picture. Um, big surprises. I would have said, like, a few nights ago that I was a bit more solid on this. And now I'm, I'm starting to waver. Uh, but Paul Mescal as a lead actor from the movie After Sun, I think could sneak in there. There's a lot of actors who two months ago, six months ago, a year ago, were sort of being touted as like, oh, this guy will be in the best actor category, like, you know, Hugh Jackman or, or whoever. And a lot of their movies have come out and kind of flopped. And we've now seen them and we see that like, oh, this movie's not very good or their performance is not very good. And that's going to drag them down a little bit. And so I think lead actor is like kind of wide open outside of Colin Farrell and Brendan Fraser. It's kind of wide open. And I don't know who else is going to make the other three. Bill Nye probably will get in there for a living. So that's three of five, I guess. But uh, I, I think I think and I hope Paul Mescal can sneak in there from After Sun. That would be a big surprise, but I'd be really happy about it. My other big surprise, only because, again, he's probably the front runner right now, I don't think Brendan Fraser wins lead actor. So, no. yeah, I think Colin Farrell actually wins. I think Brendan Fraser... I think the, I think the Academy, because they've done this before, I think the Academy will see a nomination for him as recognition of his work and a, like, welcome back to the fold you know, embrace you. But they will actually turn around to Colin Farrell, who's been putting in great performances for a decade, and say it's it's actually his time. So I think Colin Farrell will probably win and Brendan Fraser will get the nomination as a, like, it's great just to be nominated. Because I haven't seen the movie yet, so Colin Farrell would be the lead of the Banshees movie, not Brendan Gleeson? Yes, yeah, Colin, okay. Far Colin Farrell's running as lead. Brendan Gleeson is running as supporting and i think he has a very good shot of winning um i can't remember his name now i can't remember how to pronounce his name but the the guy from everything all everywhere all at once is also running as supporting and he's he's won a lot of awards already so it does seem like it's that one is going to come down between the two of them but yeah colin farrell is is lead and brendan gleason is okay. supporting okay so your next one what do you think about quentin tarantino's comments about the mcu movies and the actors not being movie stars we should have Chris on this question. I was too, just about but, to say. Um, like, I don't know. I'm kind of bored of this whole debate, really. Like, I don't like the MCU movies. So whenever Quentin Tarantino or Martin Scorsese or anyone comes out and says, you know, they're not really movies, they're more like roller coasters, I sort of sit there and sort of say, like, yeah, that's probably right, because I kind of already agree with them. 
Um, I think his comments about the MCU, though, were sort of like, from what I understand, he was basically saying, like, if he was 20 years old and still buying these comic books, that he would be loving life with all of these movies coming out. But he's not 20 years old and he doesn't buy the comic books anymore. So he doesn't really care about them. It's sort of like, that's all right as well. Like, that's that's a perfectly fine answer. Not everyone has to love these movies. And then, But then his comments about the lead actors not being movie stars, I think that's just true. Like, and it's it's been proven to be true because guys like Chris Evans or Chris Hemsworth or any of the other major characters from the MCU have gone and made other movies that have not made a tenth of the money that the MCU movies make. Whereas if they were movie stars, it wouldn't matter. It would not matter what movie these guys are in. People would be going to see them. They're obviously not. They're only going to see the MCU movie. So clearly Captain America is the star, not Chris Evans. And I think that that will probably only, there will only be more evidence for that as other actors take over these roles as the MCU rolls on. Because, you know, eventually somebody else will play Iron Man. Eventually somebody else will play Captain America. And those movies will probably make just as much money as the previous ones. So I, I like, I don't think Quentin Tarantino is not even the first guy to say this. So like, I, I don't know. I, I think his comments were probably blown out of proportion for clickbait and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, I think that they were mostly, they're mostly true about the movie stars. And then the whole thing about the MCU is just like, not everyone has to love these movies. So it's perfectly fine if people don't like them. Okay, so how do you feel about the sight and sound list? Should newer movies be allowed on the list? I think you might ex- have to explain to people what the sight and sound list is. Explain to you what the sight and sound list is? Well, me and other people who okay. may not know. Okay. <laughs> Let's start with so, that. The sight and sound list is a, a very quick synopsis of it is they are a magazine, I believe, in the UK. And they've been around basically since movies have been made. And every 10 years, they collectively, they invite critics from, it started with mostly, I think, England and America. And they have slowly expanded to include critics from around the world and different genders and different ages. And and sort of, they've tried to be a bit more inclusive. And, And the next one in 10 years will be even more inclusive, I'm sure. But they invite all these people to submit a top 10 list of just, the top 10 movies of all time. And based on those lists, I don't think it matters 10 to 1. I, I think it just matters if the movie's on the list. I don't think it matters where it's on the list. But you get the movie scores points. And then they tally up all these ballots from all these critics. And the 100 movies with the most points make up the sight and sound best 100, greatest 100 movies list. And they release it every 10 years. And we just had one uh, two weeks ago, maybe, I don't know, I posted about it. But, um, and so that's basically what the sight and sound list is. And so it is sort of a, it's like a identifiable canon of like, these are the 100 greatest movies. And you could go through the list and you could kind of quibble about, you know, what's in what order or what's on and what's not on. But ultimately at the end of the day, it is a pretty solid 100 movies like if you've never seen any movie ever these are probably 100 movies that you should check out 
um, and you you probably wouldn't go that wrong on. So that's what the list is. Um, my feelings about the list this year are like I, I sort of just said like it's I see it and I have seen it in the past as more of like an educational tool. Like here are a hundred movies that everyone who enjoys movies should check out. Um, I don't really care about the order of the movies. Obviously, whatever movie finishes at first overall um, is going to get extra attention. And for like the longest time, number one movie on the list was Citizen Kane. And everyone sort of agreed, yeah, Citizen Kane is probably the greatest movie of all time. Ten years ago in the 2012 uh, version of the list, Vertigo beat out Citizen Kane. And again, it was met with sort of a like, yeah, Vertigo is really, really good. Everyone should see Vertigo. Still haven't seen it, but everyone should. Uh, the controversy this time around is that the movie that jumped to number one is this movie that outside of sort of film lovers and film critics, A, probably hasn't been heard of by regular Joes going to the cinema two or three times a year uh, and has been watched by even less than the people who know about it. And so obviously some people sort of took that with you know a grain of whatever and we're not happy that it jumped over so many other movies i haven't seen it so i can't comment on the fact that if jean dealman is the greatest movie of all time i haven't seen it i'm really excited to go look at it now because this sort of gives you that extra oomph to go oh i need to go check this out so yeah my feelings about the list are sort of like i, I don't i never get that upset about the list anyways like the concept of making a list ranking things like this is impossible to begin with. So like I don't get bent out of shape. Um, I do enjoy the debate about the list. Like I, I was at a Christmas party a week or two ago and had like just a wonderful debate with friends about the whole list and creating the list and what's on and what's off. So I love that, which I think the list, like that's the point. That's probably why they do it is to get people talking. And so like in that respect, job well done the question about newer movies on the list i kind of understand where they're coming from like how can you possibly quantifiably compare something that's only been out for three or four years versus things there there are things on the list that are 100 years old so like we know that movie that's 100 years old we know the cultural impact we know the technological improvements we can we can look at that movie and say like oh like that led to this which led to this which led to this we obviously just don't know that about the newer movies and so i think i think there's like two or three movies on there from the last 10 years and a couple from the last few years and um so i kind of understand where they're coming from i think ultimately again it doesn't bother me because the way that the list is constructed I have to imagine the people who submitted these movies, these newer movies, were probably just saying like, wouldn't it be great if in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, we're still talking about Parasite. We're still talking about Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And I think that we probably will be. So in that respect, who cares? Get them on the list. And ultimately, like the, the, the list is constructed by, I think, a couple thousand people. So obviously there's an enough consensus from critics around the world 
that like, yes, Parasite is one of the greatest hundred movies of all time. So if that's what the list is supposed to reflect, then it should be on the list. So I, I, have, I don't have a problem with it. Would I have added any of those? If I had been asked to give my 10, would it, any new movies be on there? Probably not. But I'm not going to begrudge anyone who does put a new movie on there. Like, they're all great movies. So, yeah, I, I don't know. That's a bit of a boring answer, but still. Okay, if you could go back in time and watch any movie for the first time with a crowd, what movie would you pick? Okay, we talked about this the other night because this was a, a Chris question. I think the answer that I gave that night was if I'm going back in time and did we decide that I I have no memory of the movie, but I have memory or I have consciousness of like how important that movie was. I think so. I think so. I think we said you didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know what was going to happen in the movie. Yeah. But I knew that the movie itself was like a big deal. I think, yeah, you're a person of this time going back. So you know whatever movie you're about to pick is still talked about, is still important, but you just don't know what happens. Yeah. I'm not going to some stupid comedy from, you know, that we forget about in six months. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So my, my answer then and my answer now is probably The Exorcist. And that is 100% influenced by the clip that I have seen hundreds of times of like a local news station interviewing people as they walked out of the theaters. And these people are shook. These people have like been through hell watching this movie. And it's like opening night or whatever. And the lines are around the, the, the block. And so I've seen this clip a hundred times. And every time I watch it, I'm always like, God, I would love to be in a situation like that where you just have this collective knowledge that this movie is going to be a big deal, but yet nobody knows anything about it. And so, yeah, I think, I think the exorcist would be an unbelievable movie to sit in a full movie theater with people who have no idea what's going on and just like all get scared. I I think it'd be great. Okay. To change pace here a little bit from the exorcist. Uh, are there any Christmas movies you watch every year? Oh yeah. Oh, def- okay. Well, I'm not going to change pace that much because <laughs> the Christmas movie that I watch every year is Nightmare Before Christmas. I knew that was your um, answer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, well, like I went out and bought it in Ireland. So that we could watch so it. So that we could watch it. Uh, so yeah, like, uh, every year, pretty much, I would say every year for the last, I don't know, 20, 20 years. Yeah. 20 something years. I've watched Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, I don't really know why that became my Christmas movie, but it just, it really did. And I still love it. So I'm not giving it up. Uh, other ones, I, I more or less watch Die Hard every Christmas. Sometimes that's probably because I'm with like a group of friends. And so we all decide, well, it's the Christmas movie. It's the Christmas movie. And it, it, we usually watch it then because half the friend group says it's not a Christmas movie. The other half like me just won't let that go and fight to the death that it is a Christmas movie. So we eventually ended up watching it. One that I I am going to go watch and I'm going to rewatch it this year because I really enjoyed it. And um, I haven't watched it since. And I would like to see it again to see if it sort of holds up is happiest season. Have you watched happiest season? With Kristen Dunst. No, Stewart. Or Kristen Stewart, sorry. Yes, I really enjoyed it. I really liked it. I really, really liked it. Yeah, I really liked it. And I'm now curious if... 
I really liked it because I think it came out like that first Christmas of COVID. And I think we were all kind of just starved for anything really nice and sort of warm and happy and funny. And I think I said at the time, I was like, if that becomes a Christmas classic, I'll be really happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I didn't watch it last year, but I think I'm going to make sure I'm going to put it on the calendar and make sure I, I watch it again this year and just sort of see if I feel the same. Cause yeah, it was really good. I really liked it. I, was, I definitely watched it the year it came out. I de- watched it last year and it's on my list to go again this year. So that could be a Christmas morning so watch then a family watch because i don't think we're going out to the, the movie theater this year because there's a new addition who she she doesn't get it yet she no, doesn't, she no, doesn't, she doesn't the whole know. the whole be quiet for two hours thing she doesn't get it no. and it's killing me so what's your favorite movie of the year and what was your biggest disappointment favorite movie of the year we're doing a favorite movie of the year podcast i think for the next two weeks i'm gonna have people on to talk about their favorite movie this may come up. It may not come up. I'm not sure yet what people are going to pick. Banshees of Inishirin, number one. Number one with a bullet. Like, there are still a couple movies that I haven't seen this year that potentially could knock it off. They'd have to be really good. They would have to be really good. And like I'm talking potentially new favorite movie really good. Like, they would have to almost be perfect to knock this movie off number one because Banshees of Inishirin just gave me literally everything that I want in a movie. So that was fantastic. That was number one immediately after after seeing it in TIFF. Biggest disappointment of the year. I don't know if people will be surprised by it or not, but I was really looking forward to Don't Worry Darling. Like really, really looking forward to it. Florence Pugh is one of my favorite actors working right now. The supporting cast all looked great. And Olivia Wilde, like, I loved Booksmart. Mm-hmm. I really, really loved Booksmart. And so I was actively looking forward to this. The trailer dropped and I sort of was like, oh, that's a pretty good trailer. Like, that is, that's intriguing. Now, in hindsight, I can go back and watch the trailer and be like, oh, like, that's just all the best bits. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my feelings on Don't Worry Darling have only sort of gotten worse and worse as I've gotten further away from that movie. So that is easy. That was easily once I started to go back and look at all the movies I watched this year, and especially the movies that I rated a bit lower. Um, that was that stuck out as a sort of like oh, like I was really looking forward to this, and it just just died. Like it was just bad from almost from jump. So yeah, don't worry, darling. Not great. Okay, so that kind of leads us into what's the movie this year that surprised you the most? Um, okay, so I have a couple good surprises we can start there i think barbarian which i think i've also talked about on the podcast just like came out of nowhere so i had no idea that this movie existed i had no idea the movie was coming i was in a movie theater one night and they played the trailer and i sort of clocked it and said well i have to go watch that so i went in didn't really know who was involved in the movie outside of the trailer who they only show you a couple characters and Within 20, 30 minutes, it it went from like, wow, this movie's really this movie's really creepy. This movie's really effective. It's a good horror movie. To all of a sudden, like instantly one of the greatest cinema experiences I've ever had. And anyone who's seen the movie will know the moment that I'm talking about. Anyone who ha- has not seen the movie and has the stomach for horror movies 
needs to go watch this movie because about 30 minutes in, this movie does something that I've never seen done before. And if anyone tries to do it again, I will always refer to it as the Barbarian moment. So yeah, Barbarian is a great surprise. Um, so I loved that one. A movie that I enjoyed and liked, but is another good surprise, was Confess Fletch. Have you seen or heard of Confess no. Fletch? He's like a he's like an investigative reporter, I think. And he was a character in like the 80s, or like, I think maybe earlier, but they did a couple movies on him in the 80s. And I don't really like Chevy Chase as a person or an actor. So I never watched those movies. By all accounts, the people who watch them do say they're very good, but I, I just don't like him that much, so I, I never watched them. But this newest version has John Hamm as Fletch. I quite like John Hamm. Liked him in Mad Men, seen him in other things. I think he's like underused because Hollywood doesn't know how to use him properly. But he showed up in this movie and it was just like, it was one of those movies that you randomly come across and you just sort of just stick on out of like, you know, there, there's like something in your gut says, this will probably be okay. This will probably be fine. And I put it on and I was just like, this is great. Like, this is really, really awesome. And so, yeah, Confess, I've told a couple people about Confess Fletch that they should check it out. And so I'd say that like, I genuinely, again, like until the moment I put it on, knew literally nothing about it. So that was that was another good surprise. A, a bad surprise is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie on Netflix. So bad. It is so bad. And like, it was one of these movies that I quite liked the first Texas Chainsaw. I've seen a couple more since. Like, there's, I don't know how many sequels and reboots and things like that. And like, they're not great. They're all kind of bad. So I probably should have seen this coming. But it was like Thursday night of whatever week it came out. And I didn't know it existed. I didn't know Netflix were doing their own Texas Chainsaw movie. And then all of a sudden, like 10 people on my letterbox were reviewing it and were, were posting about it. So I was like, oh, okay. Like I should check this out. Watched it the next night and was like, that that sucked. Like that was that was two bad hours of movie. And so I just, I should have stayed away. Like, and it, the thing that killed me and I, I messaged a couple people about it was like all the reviews I saw weren't necessarily like five out of five. Okay. Reviews. I was just about they to were, ask. They weren't did great. They? they weren't great. And so like, I should have taken that as a, as a sign. But again, like these horror movies like this are kind of devices. Like you either enjoy them or you don't enjoy them. And so I don't necessarily know where people fall on those sorts of things. But I thought I'd give it a shot and it was sort of just like, God, like that was, that was dumb. That was, that was stupid. I could have watched a million things that were far better than Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So yeah, bad, bad surprise that one. Do you, for Letterbox on the likes of that movie, if the other people had given it five out of five, would you check it out? Or if they had given it one out of five, would you have been like, nope, going to skip it? Well, there How are... How influenced are you by your Letterbox community? Um, I'm, if it's a movie that I want to see already, like it's already something that I've heard of and I sort of have a vague interest in it or whatever, I, it doesn't matter what anyone posts. I'm going to see the movie. I'm going to make up my own mind. If it is something like this, like Texas Chainsaw, where 
I didn't know it existed until literally 24 hours before I watched it. I will take that into account where especially I don't see the thing is I don't read the review before I watch the movie mm -hmm. because you know I don't know what they're going to say I don't want to be influenced I don't you know if they make a joke which some people do in the letterbox reviews like I don't want that I don't want any of that to sort of be spoiled or broken even though most of the people I follow are, are very sort of conscious about about not doing that but I will obviously see the star rating and so there are now a few people that I follow for specific genres or specific time frames in movies. Like I, there are a couple of people that I follow that like almost exclusively watch older movies, like things from the forties or fifties. And then like the new stuff they watch is from like the seventies. So, you know, so like those people, I will certainly take into account like, Oh, this movie that they've watched that I've never heard of, they only gave it two stars. Like maybe, maybe on the list of movies from this genre or this decade or this filmmaker, that'll be at the bottom of the list to check out. I'll check out a few things before I get there. Um, but generally, like if, if it's already something that I, I have told myself I want to see, it does not matter what anyone posts. I'm, I'm going to check it out for myself. Okay. So Jenna Ortega starred in four movies this year and is now the star of the Netflix series Wednesday. Is she going to be the biggest thing in Hollywood in 10 years? Are you watching the Wednesday show? No, but I feel like I need to now. I kind of, when it first came out, didn't necessarily have an interest, wasn't a huge Adams Family person growing up. But now it's just every time I go on to my social media, her face is there. The dance that she does and the Halloween dance is everywhere. So I kind of feel like now I need to check it out. The vibe I got off of like the the trailer that Netflix plays after you finish something was like that um, Sabrina the Teenage Witch show yeah. from a couple years ago. And I was sort of like, oh, I know people who like that, but like it's not for me. So I'll, I'll just skip it. Jenna Ortega, though, is like quickly becoming one of these like rising stars where it's like, I got my I got my eye on you because not only are you good and like she is very good in the things that I've seen her in, but she picks interesting movies and TV shows to be involved in. So either she has or her agents or, you know, a combination of the two have really good taste and have really good sort of like senses for like, oh, like, let's do this thing over here. Um, so the Wednesday show, I, I don't know if I'll necessarily get into that or, or watch too much of it, but like genuinely happy that she's found a show where she can be the leading star of it because i think she's very good i think she just got um either what is today is today monday i think she just got a golden globe nomination for wednesday for being on the show so she's obviously doing something right uh i think in terms of like her hollywood career yeah like she's very clearly a star and a talent and a face and a presence that people are seeking out because she has been in so much and she's only like 22, 23 years old. She's very young. And so obviously people are seeking her out to be in things. So people have sort of tapped her as a rising star, if not a star already. The thing about the way Hollywood is going that I am interested in to sort of see it go forward is like 20, 30 years ago, the first thing I saw Jenna Ortega on was 
the TV show You, where I think she was on season two, maybe season three. I can't remember which season she was on, but she was on one of those seasons. And she was very good in it, and she had second or third build role or whatever. After that success, she would go exclusively do movies. She'd be a movie star. Obviously, the way the industry is working now, she's doing both. And so I would be curious and I'd be interested to see is if Wednesday is a hit, which it obviously is, how much of a commitment is that going forward? And can she still go out and make a couple movies a year? Um, like she has the new Scream movie coming out, which comes out and I think in a few weeks. But like how much more does she have coming after that? Or will she be stuck making this Netflix show for the next few years in which case you know people like me who were sort of like i really liked her in all these horror movies that she does but i'm not watching the wednesday yeah. show like will that sort of fizzle out i don't know but she's certainly one to watch and uh, yeah i've got my eyes on her because i think she's she's very good what movies are you excited for in 2023 there's so many there's so many it's so like next year we are getting a new christopher nolan movie we're getting a new Greta Gerwig movie. We're getting a new Martin Scorsese movie. We're probably getting a new Wes Anderson movie. I think we're getting two movies from Yorgos Lanthimos. Uh, he's the guy who did The Favorite. Oh, a couple okay. Years ago. Okay. Uh, so I think we're getting two movies from him next year. But anyone who knows me, I'm a Fincher guy. I pray and I hope, and I think we are getting David Fincher's The Killer, starring Michael Fassbender. And it's so like, that is easily my most anticipated movie. That's the one I'm looking forward to the absolute most. I love pretty much everything he's ever done. So that's that's an easy pick for me. Which director and writer would you love to see work together? Well, okay. So going off of the last answer, because I just want David Fincher to make so many more movies with so many more people, because then that's just good for me. So I, I just finished watching Andor and Tony Gilroy, like unbelievable writing and i think the thing that tony gilroy does is that it's all about like details he focuses on like minute details to expand character and i think him uh writing for david fincher who is such a detail oriented and such a perfectionist like they would just go they would either go like perfectly together or it would literally blow up because these two guys like they're too close to each other or whatever and so like i think they would i think it'd be fantastic the other one that i would like to see right for david fincher is um he's a screenwriter too but i mostly know him through books is this author richard price and he writes a lot of like detective things and crime uh novels and whatnot uh david fincher obviously has a like long history of making great movies about detectives and serial killers and all that sort of minutia that goes into that sort of work. And Richard Price writes that stuff really, really well. So I think it would be a great pairing between the two of them as well. If you could cast an actor to play you in a biopic of your life, <laughs> who would you choose? Uh, Saoirse Ronan. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> yeah. Because she would, she would kill it. She would kill it. Now, the, the thing about the biopic of my life is, A, it would be incredibly boring. But it, it could be a like Kieran Valley of XYZ place because and we'll just make it a Jean Dielman remake. And so it'd be three and a half hours of me searching and scouring and begging and pleading people to be guests on this podcast. 
Um, and so, yeah, that, that would be the movie. But like Sir Ronan at the center of that movie would crush it. Absolutely crush it. And I would watch it. So, yeah, she she could play me. She could yeah. play me. That would be fine. I'd sign off on that. Okay. Just to give people a little bit of context, how many movies have you seen this year total? And then how many have you seen in your life? Okay. <laughs> like, this year, I don't know if this is a good number or a bad number or whatever. This year, I have seen... I guess there's a couple things that are probably not movies, but let's not get into all that. Yeah. I have seen 357 things this year. Yeah. Uh, mostly movies. A lot of those actually are shorts because I do remember at the time of the Oscars back in March, I was watching a ton of short films. So there are, there you know, that number is not exactly all feature length movies, but, you know, yeah, 357 and uh, depending on what time we wrap up here, it might be 358 by the end of the night. But uh, overall in my life, 3,538. So, yeah, that's that's big. That's big. That's, I, I have like, I have a memory of texting two of my best friends about being like, tonight I'm going to watch my 3,000th movie. And that feels like it wasn't that long ago. So all of a sudden to now be a 3,500 is like, whoa, like. Where'd that time go? Where, where did that go? <laughs> like what happened here? I'm not necessarily upset about it. It's sort of just like that felt like not very long ago, but clearly it was. So yeah, I've, uh, I've put in some work. That's for and sure. I would say that that's probably in the what past 10 years what that you've seen the 3000 because i don't think you would have had that many when we were growing up no no we no. really only had a couple movies right yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's no. yeah we we got off to slow starts that's for sure <laughs> one of the great or not so great things about letterbox whichever way you want to see it is like i can go back and see how many movies in a decade i've seen mm -hmm. and i think last decade i did cross the 1000 movies which means that you're averaging 100 a year from that year yeah um, now obviously that doesn't mean that you're watching a hundred movies of that year in that year, but like, there's a lot of duds in there. Like yeah. I, I need to be more discerning going forward. I need to be more selective. And I, this year I was much better at it, but yeah, sometimes you, you do get into a sort of like convenience of like, oh, this is the new thing on Netflix or, or prime or whatever. I'll just, I'll just throw it on tonight. And then you just sit there being like, that was dumb. Like, why, why did I do that? I could have watched something that I know is better. Yeah. So, but anyways, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what is the weirdest movie you've seen that you enjoy? Um, weirdest movie. I don't necessarily know how to quantify that, but so I, a couple of things are jumping to mind. There's this movie by Peter Jackson before he kind of became famous. And this is when he was still sort of like a lot of DIY filmmaking which like is just he's a very creative person but he did this movie called brain dead which is one of the goriest and like over the top violent but like like comedic violent because it knows how violent it is um movies i've ever seen and like i just the last half hour 40 minutes of that movie however long it is I just like had this big smile on my face because I was like, oh, he's going for it. Like this is this is so out there and it's so strange. And then you have to keep in mind that it's sort of like, this is the guy that did Lord of the Rings. Like he's he's now like 
an A plus list filmmaker who makes these really prestigious movies. And it's like he has a guy in Brain Dead killing. I think there's zombies killing zombies with a lawnmower. Oh um, and so it's like the the blood splatters everywhere. So I was like, that was fantastic. That was great. I've already cited him, and I'm looking forward to hopefully his two movies next year. But the Greek filmmaker Yorgos Lanthimos just makes these like deeply uncomfortable movies, where like that is that's the tone he's going for. That's the reaction that he wants, and like he nails it. And they're so strange, especially his Greek movies. Um, the the favorite is a little strange, but it, it's certainly more accessible. Uh, but yeah, things like Dogtooth are just like, what the fuck is happening? And then the one that the one that I did circle, and I was like, I need to bring this up, is this Finnish movie called Leningrad Cowboys Go America, and it is you should watch it because it's honestly it's almost like it's so weird. That you can't help but love it. Okay. And so it's about it's about a Russian uh, rock and roll band who have grown up on American rock and roll music, and they want to like emulate it all. And so they all have they all wear like black suits, uh, black tailored suits, and they all have these shoes that like come out into a point that then like curls up, like like the the shoe extends two three feet beyond what is necessary and then that is mirrored they all have the same haircut which is this like pompadour like thing like almost like an elvis haircut but the front sticks out and quaffs up um again like a foot out and the the humor in it is just like very deadpan uh and sort of like not in your face and you need to sort of be like really watching to pick up on the jokes but it's like very very funny and um yeah just the the director came up on I, some podcast i was listening to or something i was reading and i was like oh I, it just like immediately i was like oh i i think i'm really going to enjoy those like the way that they were describing the director's sense of humor i was like i think that that's exactly my sense of humor and so i put this movie on and it was just like it was perfect like i just i loved it so much and i've meant to go back and watch more and i just haven't had the time yet but uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. But yeah, Lenin- Leningrad Cowboys Go America. Just so much fun. I think the one we talked about the other night when this question was posed to you at dinner, all of our answers was the horse movie because we can't ever oh, remember what yeah, it's called. Yeah, yeah. But so- that is what it... <laughs> Sorry to bother you. Yes. Sorry to bother you. That, yeah. would, that would be mine purely because we but, went but in... you didn't like it. You didn't like I it. I didn't like it at all. Yeah, so that can't be oh, the answer for oh, this. That, that you I need to have enjoyed oh, it. Yeah, no, that, I did not enjoy this one. That's probably the weirdest movie, one of the weirdest movies I can remember watching, though. Yeah. Because I do remember us going to the theater. I don't know if I had seen the trailer at all, but you had kind of given us maybe a synopsis of what you thought it was, and it was going, going straight, and then all of a sudden it just went left and just kept going. <laughs> I don't I don't know if I actually enjoyed the movie, but what I did enjoy was sitting in the theater and thinking to myself, the other three of them hate this. Yes. And like I was like, this is this is gonna be fun. When we leave here, the conversation going home is gonna be a lot of fun. And so I think that's what I enjoyed the most. But yeah, the I should probably go back and watch the movie again because I think that that twist halfway through the movie took me by so much surprise that I then couldn't process anything that was happening. Because yeah. I was like, what the fuck is happening? What is going on? <laughs> and so I, I should probably go back and watch it again. But yeah, I couldn't put that in here because I was like, 
I don't think I enjoyed that movie either. I just enjoyed the experience of, Post movie. <laughs> of you guys watching that movie. So, Okay, so as a big reader, what book would you love to be adapted into a movie? Easy answer. Heat 2. Heat 2 came out this year and it is so good. I have like, I've actively slowed myself down watching it or reading it because... Oh, you're still reading it. I'm still reading it. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm still reading it. Mostly now, some of that is because things showed up at the library for me that like you're on the time limit. So you have to get through those. But I've also been like slow rolling it because it's like, I just don't want this to end. end. I really, really enjoy it. So yeah, easy answer is heat too. How did you get into watching older movies? How did I, or how do you, like, how do you? How do, how do you get into, oh, how do you get into watching older movies? Oh, okay. So, so maybe both. Yeah, okay. So how did, how did I, well, like, I just kept watching, and then you run out of new things. I've watched <laughs> 3,000 movies, like, <laughs> eventually. I guess that's true. <laughs> event, there's only so many movies that come out in a week, uh, so you have to go backwards. Uh, how do you get into older movies? I think the, the easiest way to get into older movies is first- understand that they're going to be different like the way that they made movies 30 40 50 years ago just vastly different from the way that we make movies now like our attention span requires that they make movies differently once you kind of understand that i think the easiest way to do it would be to like find a genre of movie that you enjoy whether that be a rom-com or heist movies or horror movies doesn't really matter and then just go back and watch the things that influenced the movies that you like. So if you like rom-coms from the 2000s, they all come from the language of movies from the 40s, 50s, 60s, like, you know, Bringing Up Baby or The Philadelphia Story, like any of these sort of things. And you can go back and like, yes, they will feel old-fashioned. They will feel many, many different things. But you should be able to see the like the DNA of oh i like really really loved made in manhattan or the wedding planner or any of the jennifer lopez movies because apparently that's all i can name yeah (laughs) like you can go back and watch when harry met sally and be like that's all right there it's all it's all the same it's all the same stuff when harry met sally is not necessarily that old but you know from when harry met sally you can go back another 10 years and probably find they just recycle things. It's, but it's, it's not even recycling. It's like a, it's just like a language. It's it's a way that these movies, because they all kind of do it, especially when you get into genre movies. Like genre movies are, are genre movies for a reason. is because they all have a shared language and a shared way of being like, this is how you set things up. This is how you pay them off. And so the, especially the ones that last, like the movie, the older movies that last, they last for a reason and it's probably because they were good enough that newer directors go back to them for inspiration and for references. So yeah, like I think that's probably, that's probably the easiest way. That's definitely how I do it. Like I've gone back and watched a ton of uh, noir movies from the fifties because I really like crime movies. And so it's like, yeah, like I can put on almost any noir movie from the forties or fifties with like Humphrey Bogart or Robert Mitchum or anything, any of these guys and be like, yeah, I'm going to enjoy myself. Like the movie might not be that great, but I'm going to enjoy myself because I like this genre and these were the first guys doing it really, really well. So, you know, you just sort of sink in. Yeah. 
what has been your favorite part about this podcast? Anything that doesn't involve getting guests has been it. <laughs> <laughs> like I've I've really enjoyed the conversations that I've had with friends and family and new people that I've never met before. I really really like obviously talking about movies, but I really really love listening and and learning about what these people love about movies and that is one of the reasons because people have asked me before that is one of the reasons why i get everyone to do a plot description before the movies because i want to know what about this story are you retaining focusing on like what are you picking up on what are you spending the time on what kind of words are you using for praise around certain things and like what scenes are you picking out because that tells me quite a bit about like oh okay like you know i can maybe anticipate oh maybe they maybe they did not enjoy my recommendation because the way that they watched their movie is very different from the way that i watched their movie um so yeah i I really love hearing what about a movie people and like why does it stick around like most of the movies i've done have been these people's favorite movies for 10 15 20 years so like what about this movie? Why did it stick when there's been so many since and so many before? Um, so I love that. And then I, I really do, even though I've complained about it once or twice, I really do love that moment when I ask somebody, did they enjoy my recommendation? Because I genuinely don't know. I have no idea if they did or they didn't. But I, I really, really enjoy that that brief moment where it's sort of like a yes or a no. And then I can be like, okay. And, and then let's go. Let's go on the second half. But yeah, I'd say just just the conversation in general is, is definitely my favorite part. I'm trying to think now, percentage-wise, I think most people have enjoyed your recommendation, right? I, yeah, most people. I've I've gotten maybe better at like playing to my crowd. Yes. Um, like whereas... <laughs> to keep your percentage up. <laughs> to keep that percentage up. That's not necessarily something I was seeking out at the beginning of this, of this podcast, but it, it is maybe something I'm doing a little bit more now. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know how many people are just being kind and saying, yes, I did enjoy that movie when maybe they didn't. Uh, but I think for the most part, it's been pretty good. It's been pretty good. Okay, so with the World Cup on right now, do you have a favorite soccer movie or other kind of top sports movies? It's such a sore spot. <laughs> so soccer movies suck. Yes. And um, That's actually your next question is why do soccer scenes Oh, Why okay. are they so terrible? Let's roll them together. Let's roll them okay. together. Soccer movies suck. And it kills me because I don't think soccer will have a real strong cultural footprint, cultural hold on Canada and the US until it has some genuinely great movies. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, like you go through any of the other sports, they've all got great movies and so like okay well let's name let's name a couple so like you've got goon or slapstick for hockey amongst amongst others like mm-hmm. mighty ducks mighty ducks not a great movie but we all grew up watching it so it's sort of indelible friday night lights for football remember the titans remember the titans for football like replacements there's, fuck there's so many there's so many there's so many baseball unreal movies like Fucking natural is so good. Moneyball. You've got even comedies about baseball and basketball, I guess, like basketball. It's like this movie's so dumb 
but it's so great. It is so great that like, how could you hate this? And so like, and then boxing is off the charts. Like fuck every great director makes a boxing movie and they're all incredible. I'm thinking basketball too. Like you've got coach Carter, like just. <laughs> There's so many. There's so many. And I, I think where soccer runs into a problem is a, the people making the movie don't necessarily understand the sport. And so what you get is very often is the lead character who is the best player on the team gets the ball at their own 18 yard box and dekes his way through all 11 players of the opposition <laughs> and then scores a bicycle overhead kick that they set up themselves. And the problem is one people who don't watch the sport are a probably not going to the movie in the first place, but B the people who do watch the sport are just sitting being like, that's dumb. Like that doesn't happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so immediately you're off on the wrong foot. I think the whole thing about it being 11 versus 11 is it's just too many characters. There's too many people on the field to really focus on any one thing. Whereas in all of these other movies uh, and all these other sports, you do get one-on-one moments. And so in baseball, you get a pitcher and a batter. True. That's all you get. In boxing, you have the, one two, guys, one. <laughs> the two guys in the ring. In basketball, it's five players on each side. But in basketball, your best player has way more influence on the game than in soccer, I think, anyways, for the most part. And they get the ball every possession. So every single time, you can rinse and repeat, they get the ball, and they do something with the ball. Whereas in soccer, because there's so many people on the field, obviously there's guys like Messi or Ronaldo or whoever who have an outside influence on any game that they play in. But for the most part, it does take all 11 players to get the ball to where it needs to go. And it's just hard to film that. And so I think that's where soccer runs into a lot of problems. Now, for favorite soccer movies, like the bar is very low. But the first goal movie... All right, that was pretty good. They took the two or three, I can't remember, there's two actors, I think, and they almost seamlessly integrate them into actual footage from games. And so when you're watching the movie, they they play a game against Liverpool and Steven Gerrard is in the game because they just took footage from the Newcastle-Liverpool game that Steven Gerrard was playing in and then they insert our actors as players on the field. So you do get a sense of some realism going on there. So that was all right. Uh, mean Machine is a soccer version of The Longest Yard. So it's about that player goes into prison and then he has to have a game against okay. the guards. And it's genuinely pretty funny. The soccer and it's not very good. Uh, Duster Vinnie Jones, who was a professional soccer player before he became an actor. But um, it's it's not great. But the the final goal in the game, it, you can get the whole clip on YouTube. And I have watched that clip probably a thousand times because it's pre- that is pretty awesome. Uh, but the soccer in it's not, it's not great. But it's, it's also like supposed to not be great because like the youngest, longest yard, it's all about prisoners playing the guards. And so like the prisoners aren't professionals. They're not supposed to be that good. Good, yeah. Um, so it is more of a, a comedy and then the last one that I have is this movie called Escape to Victory, which stars Pele. And so every time he has the ball and the camera is on him, 
it is unbelievable. Like it is yeah. so good to watch him do what he can do. And there's a few other professionals um, who are who are in there. And it's it's a longest yardish thing. They're 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 prisoners of war playing a team of German, I think German officers or Nazis or whatever. And um, that that's the whole concept. But so you get these. Like Pele, I think, is a prisoner of war from like Trinidad and Tobago or something like that. You know what I mean? And so all of a sudden he's in this prisoner of war camp and you're just like, well, that's fucking Pele. Like, get him on the team. But it's also cut around Michael Caine as the team captain and Sylvester Stallone as the as the goalkeeper. And they are atrocious. They are so bad that watch and like the movie itself isn't very good. Um, so yeah, any time that Pele was on screen, I was like, this is fantastic. This is awesome. But then it cuts to Sylvester Stallone as the goalkeeper. And you're like, this sucks. This is so bad. The only one that I ever really go back and rewatch is Bend It Like Beckham, which oh, like, yeah. is yeah, yeah, yeah. like the soccer once again, not great. Not great. But for me, it's that it's an all women's team and things like that. So I remember watching it the first time growing up and being like, oh, like, Women can be professional soccer players as well. Not that I was anywhere good enough to become one, but I enjoyed seeing that on screen. I think the the way that they like performed most of the games was okay. Like it was not yeah. bad. Um, I certainly bought that. Like Kira Knightley, she's probably kicked a ball before. Like yeah. I, I could, you know, what I mean like there's probably some soccer in her past somewhere. The issues that I had with that movie, I think the movie's actually. I think the reason I didn't think about it is because I don't think of it as a soccer movie. I actually just think of it as like a movie. Just, a, just a good comedy. Like it's oh, okay. just a funny comedy because the, some of the soccer is not very good. No. So I just like block <laughs> that out. Um, the final goal in that movie is like shockingly bad. The way that it's filmed is so poor and so atrocious that you're, you almost question, you're just like, was, was this the end of the day? And like, you just needed to wrap up. I don't know. But yeah. Yeah, it it is not great. The other the other one I guess that's having a, a moment right now is she's the man because the Canadian player was running around with a tampon in his nose. Oh yes. Um but again, like the they come out with like face paint on. It's like guys yeah. like this is dumb. Like this is just you're yeah. not you're not helping soccer right now, you're hurting soccer. Yeah. <laughs> Who are your favorite actors currently working? So you see them on the poster, you see them being billed, you are definitely going to go check out that movie 100% every single time. I started making this list and there were definitely, I was like, I'm only going to make one or two. And then all of a sudden it was three and then four and then five. And I like stopped myself because I was like, I could probably go on a bit further. But I think all five of these people have my money opening night for basically whatever they're doing until further notice. Daniel Kaluuya who is in like Nope and like The Widows and, you know, a number of other movies, Get Out. Uh, I think he's unreal. He, he potentially could be the best actor working right now. I don't think he, he can literally do anything he wants. Colin Farrell, who over the last 10 years has just, just quality. Mm-hmm. Everything he does is so good. And like I, I was watching a miniseries of his lately and I was like, God damn it, like, He's so fucking good. And so, yeah, anything he's in, I'm watching it. Likewise, Robert Pattinson, again, you told me five years ago he'd be on this list. Never would have believed it. But all of a sudden, like, you know, the guy has made such interesting movies. And I think like Jenna Ortega, like we were saying earlier about her, 
it's not only that he's good, but he obviously has really interesting taste. And so he's making movies that I'm sort of like, that just sounds interesting already. Like I would have already gone to check out that movie without him, without him on it, but all of a sudden he's in it. And so you sort of say to yourself like, Oh, like he is just really good taste and he's working with really interesting people. That's what gets you excited about whatever movie he's in next. And then Saoirse Ronan and Florence Pugh are just like every time, every time, like they're unbelievable. And so, yeah, I will literally watch any movie that they are in. Uh, I haven't necessarily been burned by either of them all that much. Like, don't worry, darling aside, but even then Florence Pugh is the best part of it. But like, yeah, like these, these actors, like they just haven't burned me. Like I haven't, I haven't sat down and watched the movie and be like, that's, that was shit. Like all of their movies that I've watched have either been like, okay, that was, that's fine. That's good. That's probably better than 80% of other movies out there. Or it's like, that's probably one of my favorite movies now. So, you know, those five, they're they're in the Hall of Fame right now. They're, they're, They're up there for sure. So talking about your Hall of Fame, who are your favorite actors who are no longer working? So I came up with three and two of them, I think are, two of them have passed away. And I think one is just retired. Um, although that's up for debate, but Paul Newman, Robert Redford, and then Toshiro Mifune, you're giving me a look. Yeah. <laughs> you're giving me a look. So yeah. So who do you not know? Paul Newman? You don't know Paul Newman? Okay. Yes. Uh, I'm mixing him up with somebody else. I'm mixing up. Who, who I'm mix, mixing him up with? Uh, I think Paul Walker, the Fast and the Furious guy. <laughs> yeah. Paul Walker but is only, not on my list. Only because it's Paul. <laughs> Paul Walker is not on my list. Although, to be fair, Paul Walker probably had some of the physical traits that Paul Newman had. He just didn't have the the charm or the charisma. Um, Paul Newman is just, like, effortless. It's probably about a year ago, actually, now that I think about it. But I was watching The Color of Money with Tom, friend of the pod, Tom Costi. So, shout out to Tom. We were both watching it, but not together because he had COVID. And... Uh, so we were, we were doing like a simulcast thing or whatever within the opening five minutes of the movie, Paul Newman's doing his thing where he's like talking and hitting on a woman, a bartender. And it's, he's so cool and so effortless and so smooth that I started to text Tom being like, man, Paul Newman's the fucking greatest. And as soon as I pressed send, I immediately got a text message from Tom being like, Paul Newman, greatest of all time. And I was just like, yeah. You shared one brain at that moment. Like we were simulcasting the movie and our thoughts. Like it was so perfect, but yet like we were were just so in sync. And it's like, yeah, like Paul Newman is the coolest person who has ever made a movie. um, I think, you know, bar none. So yeah, he's definitely in the list. Robert Redford, some of his best movies are with Paul Newman. So they go together like peas in a pod. Robert Redford has just made like some really interesting movies over his life because of his own like personal politics and whatnot that I just find him like, again, like just an infinitely cool person. He's still around. I think he's just retired. Um, He's most recently in like some MCU movies. So I hope that was a good final payday for him and he can live on his ranch and and go to the Sundance. He created Sundance Film Festival. So yeah, that, that's that's Robert Redford. So like, legacy for you know you'll never finish talking about his sort of legacy in movies. And then Toshiro Mifune, who I think who you were actually giving the face about. So he's a Japanese actor who did all the or most of the Akira Kurosawa movies. Okay. And he 
like these other two guys and like most movie stars over the years, he just has this quality that when he comes on screen, you can't stop looking at him. Doesn't matter. Like I've watched movies where he's literally sitting down for the whole movie and you're just, your attention is just always drawn to him no matter what is happening on the screen. And obviously Akira Kurosawa is one of the greats of all time, fantastic movies. And Mifune was like at the center of all of them. And so the way that he would operate, especially with Kurosawa is like, they're quite famous for having this thing where Kurosawa would be like, pick one physical trait or one physical characteristic for the, for the character. And then just repeat that throughout the movie and I'll capture it. And that'll be the character. And so you just watch how he like moves on screen and what he's doing. And like, he's a great action star, but he's also a great dramatic star. And, He's always just finding ways to reinvent himself. And and for me, he does disappear into the roles that he's inhibiting. And so then you're watching him be like, this is incredible. Like I watched one movie where he's like a young samurai warrior. And then I watched another movie that was filmed a year or two later. And he's playing this like aging doctor. And you're just like, God, like the guy could do anything. He'd do anything that he wanted. And so... Yeah, th- those those three, basically, I have not watched a bad movie from those three. Um, or a movie that I've, like, really disliked. And then one question that I forgot to actually send in to you. Because I've noticed recently on Netflix, a topic will come up. And they've both done a documentary and then a movie about it. Where do you fall on that? Would you go, if a thing had come up, would you watch the documentary? Or would you go and watch the movie or the TV show? Well, how long is the documentary? 90 minutes? Yeah, I'd, I'd watch the documentary then. It, I'm kind of tired of like the eight part. They're mostly, and like, they're, you didn't say this, but they're mostly true crime. Yes. I'm getting very tired of like the eight part true crime investigative documentary. I think it's sort of like you could cut all of those down to about three, three episodes and they'd be fine. You, you, I'm not missing any information. But yeah, I don't know. Like who's in the movie? Who's directed the movie? Things like that would factor in, in terms of like, well, am I going to watch the documentary? Am I going to watch the movie? Like, yeah, don't want to spend two hours with these people that I don't really like and I don't think are very good, or I just want to get the information and get out. So, yeah, I've seen Netflix do that a couple times now, and um, I've gone and watched one or the other or whatever, and I think you can, you can figure out usually pretty quickly like which is the better version of the story. So I don't think you need to watch both. If one's not working for you after 10 minutes, like I would just turn it off and go to the other one. If it's an if it's an eight-part true crime docu-series. You're skipping that. I'm usually out <laughs> on that before I even start. Like I'm just I'm so bored of them. I'm so I'm so I'm just tired of them. So Well, that's it. No more questions. No more questions? Thank God. <laughs> I don't like being on this side of the I like the I like being the one asking the questions. I was gonna say I really enjoyed this side of it. Well, <laughs> We don't need to get too far into it, but <laughs> it's good that you enjoy that. So anyways, thank you then. If that, that's the last question, that's it. Thank you everyone who did submit questions and thank you for everyone who's who's been listening. And like I was saying earlier, we're going to do best of the year and some people it'll be 2022 movies. Other people will be the best movie that they saw in 2022. So that's coming out the next couple of weeks. So hopefully you enjoy those and hopefully you get a a few more recommendations. So I will see everybody then. 